listening to The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. This is episode 12. Have you ever wanted to sit down with a Christian counsellor and ask them about what they do, why they do it, how they see their role fitting with Christian discipleship and pastoring, and what big principles they see is important for every Christian? Well, I got to do just that with Julie Sparkman the other day, and I found her answers quite fascinating. I hope you do too. Julie, it's great to chat to you on a podcast. I'm really looking forward to the conversation that we're going to have and the things we're going to talk about. Um, so Julie, you are here in Brisbane from America. I am. That's right. So what has brought you to Brisbane? My dear friend, um, author Jennifer Phillips, and I are co-authoring a book together called yep. Unhitching from the Crazy Train. And uh, we've brought it as far as we can bring it, um, being in two different countries. So it was really helpful for us to meet face-to-face to get this thing in by our deadline on Friday. So that, and then also I'm going to be speaking at um, Queensland's, Queensland Theological College and um, in various other places just around the city. Yep. Fantastic. And so, but did you know Jennifer before... You came to Australia or you'd never met? We had never met in person. Okay. Um, I knew her from her blog. Yep. And that's the only way that I've known her. But, I mean, you know, she's like best friend. And, gee, I'd never laid eyes on her. Like, I, I, I hardly recognized her in the airport. I was like, she's a little tiny person. And, you know, I don't know what your thinking is, but it was just so strange to be close to somebody but have never met them in yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. So, yes. Oh, there you go. So, let's take it back then. Um, how did you come to faith in Christ yourself? Mm. Okay, so you'd think that by this point I could answer that question clearly, but I have one of those fuzzy testimonies, mm-hmm. you know, where um, I was not raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a church-going home. Mm-hmm. At 16, I had the gospel presented to me in such a way that I understood it at that time, I think to a point. I gave my life to Christ then, but since that point, you know, you come into such a fuller understanding of what the gospel really means that you look back and think, Kelly, did I even, did I even understand it at that point? But I don't think God has tests uh, that I, you know, passed and I got 60% of it, so I'm in. So I do think that I became a believer at 16, but it's just been much fuller and fuller and fuller since then. Hmm. Thank you. And the book you're writing with Jennifer, is that the first book you've ever written? Yes. How's it going? It uh, Well, you're talking to us that now two, three days before the deadline. And so it feels a bit like, how do you eat an elephant? Small bite by small bite. <laughs> and then you're done. And I don't have any idea how that happened, except that I can say, when God wants something done, he equips you in ways that you absolutely have no idea are even possible. I've been asked a lot if I would write a book, and my answer has always been, I have three children, my answer has always been, I would rather have a fourth child (laughs) than um, write a book. I abhor, abhor writing. So I know you've given some talks before and you're giving a talk on Friday. Is it similar to... No. Like writing a talk? No. I had no idea how different it is. In my view, it's a 
100% more difficult because when I'm doing a, a talk, I can look at faces, I can discern whether or not they're getting, if they're getting it, I push in less, uh, put more humor in, your inflection's important, etc. So much of your message is conveyed by your inflection and your personality. And when you're writing, it is just the words. Mm. And the words have to say everything. Mm. And it, it it is just so laborious. But Jennifer did the bulk of the words. She took my transcribed talks and she wrote from the transcribed talks. Had that not happened, there would be no book. I mean, she she wrote the book and then together we filled in the missing pieces and, and made it live a little bit more, but her skill is what made it. So I'm going to be interviewing Jennifer on the podcast yes. a little bit later. I wonder if she's going to say the same thing, that she did the bulk of it. I have a funny feeling she might say, oh no, it was all <laughs> Julie's talks. But anyway, we'll get to that another time. Um, now, it's such a great title, Unhitching from the Crazy Train. Yes. Do you want to tell me a bit about what the book is about? Okay. I am a counsellor, been a counsellor for 18 years, and I think in one week I said that phrase, okay, right now, right there, you're hitching to the crazy train. I said it about seven times in one week. And I thought, oh, okay, is there a message in there? How is it that we end up in places that we don't want to be, behaving in ways that we do not want to behave, that we know full out are wrong, how do we end up there? And we end up there because we have a picture in our minds of the way that we want for people and circumstances, including ourselves, to be. And when we begin to look at that picture to define life, we will do whatever it takes to try to corral and control people and circumstances to get into our picture, which of course we know in our minds is impossible, but that doesn't keep us from the foolishness of losing our lives to try to manage and corral everybody into where we really feel that they should be. And in doing so, that's how that picture, which in and of itself is not wrong, it's, it's not wrong for us to have desires of the way that we want for life to be. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we look to that picture to determine what life should be and how life is wrong or I'm wrong or others are wrong, if it does not match my picture, we have now taken on the role of God to determine our own lives and what we need. And that is when we hitched to the picture and the picture is now leading us around by the nose. And we will do whatever we need to do in order to get what we think we need to get. Mm. And that includes acting crazy, which the definition of that is a sharp departure from normal or desired behavior. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And so what's the, I mean, what's the sin behind there? It's not trusting that God is in control mm-hmm. and that. Mm-hmm. He's the one who determines what life looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually just listening to one of your podcasts on the way over here, and I love the phrase that you used. 
when looking at life, that is, of course, not as we expect because mm-hmm. life isn't perfect this side of heaven, is it? And so it's mm-hmm. always going to be not what we expect. Um, and your phrase, it is what it is. Now what? what? Now what? What next? Now what? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's okay. a yeah. recognition that God's in control, isn't it? Yes. And, you know, normally when we say it is what it is, that's almost like a statement of defeat mm. or resignation. And I am not one who resigns easily. What it is, is a statement of acceptance. It is what it is. And God is on the throne. And it is what it is because he allowed for it to be so. Therefore, what now? I am not in my picture. I am outside of my picture. But I am always under and in the picture of the larger story that God has already written for me and everyone that I love, mm. pre-written before we ever came to be. And what is my role in this story? Not my responsibility for life, mm. because I can't handle responsibility for my life. I can't handle writing my own story. I can't handle rewriting somebody else's story based off of my good or my bad choices. But it is true that I do have a role I can influence, but I ultimately don't determine, but I can influence. Mm. So it is what it is. What now is my acceptance of reality rather than slamming my head up against it and forcing it to be something that I want to be. Mm. It is what it is. Father, what would you have me do now? to bring you glory because that is ultimately what I was really wired and designed for is his glory um, and using whoever I am and whatever gifting he has given me in this particular moment, this particular situation, which I don't like, but my calling remains the same and that is to bring him glory right here and to bring his kingdom to bear right here what does it look like to do that in this particular situation right now Mm. i think um when i listened to just your couple of podcasts and hearing you now what i loved about it was taking those great big gospel truths and making it practical right in those almost tiny moments aren't they some you know where your mind just wants to control or wants to idolize or Mm -hmm wants to do that um, just to reframe that and be godly in that little Mm -hmm. moment. I found that really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that part of what you often find you do in your counseling? That's Um, all I do. Yep. I counsel largely churched people who are familiar with the gospel of Jesus died on the cross. What does that have to do with the fact that I can't stop arguing with my husband? What does that have to do with the fact that I'm micromanaging my teenager to the point that I have my stomach in knots all the time? What does the gospel have to do with my, the way that I am engaging life? And the way we engage life shows whether or not we believe, A, that we are um, daughters or sons of the king, who has given to us everything we need. We're not orphans. And B, 
we now have the righteousness of Christ. So life is no longer a matter of trying to prove or keep righteousness of foolish or smaller things. Mm. So that's the question that I kind of ask them all the time. So can I just take it back then again? Um, How did you get into counseling? What made you want to be a counselor? I didn't want to be a counselor. Okay. Um, <laughs> I wanted to work in the in the inner city, mm-hmm. uh, doing maybe a um, a kindergarten program or something like that for abused children. Mm-hmm. I never intended to do individual counseling one on one. I got the degree, the master's, just because I thought that would be helpful to just gain me some I don't know whatever for when I got to do what it was that I really wanted to do. And then lo and behold, I was 50 one day and I still wasn't counseling in the inner city and I was instead um, <laughs> counseling in the suburbs and kind of said to God, okay, well, what, what was that about? This really isn't exactly, these, these are not the people that I was intending. You know, when do I get to go to the inner city? You know, it's just so much more, if you will, glamorous. <laughs> And he really revealed to me this, this churched population needs to understand and be freed by the gospel as much as people in the inner city. And he gave me a heart for this particular person, the person who knows quote unquote the gospel but is not being freed by the gospel and does not know how to make the connection between the gospel and the way they live their lives i've noticed getting to know my american friends in australia that even though we look the same talk the same the american culture is quite different and especially that um, american christian culture which is quite often christianized and i feel like in australia to be christian you really often need to decide and it's more front of mind, what does this look like for me to live as a Christian? Right. Um, But maybe in America, there's a bit less of that, and so there's a bit more of, of course, knowing the gospel, understanding it, but yeah, it's more cultural than heart and actions. I don't know if you can see that from inside America. Oh, it's 100% that way. Well, I'd also say it largely depends on where you live. Right. Um, so my children South? live in California, yep. and there, yes, they're not in church on Sunday because yeah. that's what you do. Yeah. But in the South, um, where I live, if you go to a restaurant on any given Sunday, mm-hmm. you need to dress up a little bit because you're going to stick out like a sore thumb if it's obvious that you didn't come from the late service. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, um, it's a cultural thing in um, the South. So do you find, you're you're in the South, do you find in your counselling often your, um, I guess, yeah, I guess it's sort of a bit of a continuum, isn't it? But helping people understand the gospel as you help them understand what it means for their life a little bit or? Yes, and it's much more difficult to work with someone who is, if you will, well-versed mm. in Christianity, mm. but is not freed by it, mm. but thinks they are, it's almost as if 
they've been inoculated, they get just enough of the gospel so that they never come down with the real thing. Mm. And they think that what they have is the real thing, only it's not working. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you say that in Australia a lot with um, people who've been brought up in the Catholic faith, because it's quite similar to that. You have all the words, right. but there's no relationship with God so often. And so, yeah, there's that inoculation. Oh, I don't mm. really want any of that. And it's also tied up in religion as opposed to faith. Yes. Um, so, yeah, don't yes. want to of that yeah. um, when they're older. Yeah. yeah. But it's much easier for me to deal, to talk to someone who doesn't have a grid up of, I already know this. Mm -hmm. It's much easier. Like, okay. you know, I don't know. Rather than... If I had maybe done what I originally wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, you counsel as part of um, a Christian organization. I do. Called Restore, Restore Ministries. Ministries. Mm -hmm. So do you have people coming to you who aren't believers? Um, we would never, we would counsel anyone who came. Yep. But our website and predominantly our referrals makes it fairly obvious that we're faith-based. Therefore, rarely would someone want to come to us. Mm. unless they wanted it mm. from that particular perspective. And we're very, very open with them about that. Yep. And so I would say um, most people come to us because we're faith-based mm. and that's what they want. Mm. Mm. Yep. Uh, they might end up kind of changing their minds. <laughs> um, and I've had more than one person say, similar to what I said to you earlier, oh my goodness, I thought I understood. Mm. And now this almost makes me wonder, was I ever a believer at all? I, I, I've never heard the gospel presented like this. I didn't understand mm. what it really had to do with life. That's the most common phrase we get from clients. Wow, so that must be really exciting for you to be able to mm -hmm. help people in that yes. situation. Yeah. Yes, yes. To bring, to bring um, the truth, uh, to bring more and more and more freedom. Mm. Mm. I don't know if you can give some examples, but can you give some examples of some um, types of situations that you've been able to help people in in your counselling without oh. names? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, okay. More than one of these. But I think one, one of my very first clients, she came to me, she was a, quote, good Christian woman, end quote, and she was never missed a Sunday, and she dutifully took her children to church on Sundays, and sadly, her husband um, wasn't doing as he should, and he also, I think he had, yes, he was addicted to pain medication. So she came to me to help, to get help from me to help her husband. And um, she ended up, in essence, having her life turned upside down as she began to understand the gospel of grace for her. And she began to get into the sinner's boat right next to her husband. So the first one, of course, that noticed the difference was her husband. He was no longer a project. Suddenly, they were, um, again, as I say, in the same boat. Mm. And she was much more caught up in her own mm. 
restoration than she was in his. And it's just like you know, what the scripture says. She didn't speak to him with using words, but she spoke to him mightily by the example of the gospel becoming real in her life. And as she became a free woman, he was unbelievably changed and impacted by that. He ended up coming in to counseling. Which is amazing, isn't it? Yes. That doesn't happen no. easily. No, especially when the, the point of her coming in was to get help to help him. But, I mean, she will tell you over and over again that his addiction freed her and um, brought her to a place where she saw her true need for Christ. And she is no longer a religious woman. She is a free woman. And, and, they, and they now, you know, years later, he is free from addiction and they are worshiping together. Um, but she is no longer looking at him as her lifeline. And if you don't get it together, this whole family is going to fall apart. Mm. She doesn't look at him like that anymore. Um, funny thing is, he did become mm. what she longed for him to be, which was a good desire. Mm. It really was. But um, she is not dependent upon that. Mm. Which is a really big difference, isn't it? Oh. Yeah. I think her lack of dependence, her lack of you need to, freed him to be able to engage God for himself and not for her. So again, I'm not going to say that she held the responsibility for him to not become a believer, but I do believe she had a huge role. Her incessant demand of him really, really uh, created a stumbling block for him. So once removed, it was, it was significant. I've only just recently become aware of the phrase biblical counselling as opposed to Christian counselling. Mm-hmm. Where does Restore Ministries mm-hmm. fit? Biblical counselling tends to come from, the term used to be nuthetic, which is very, very heavy use of scripture and scripture alone. And I would say while, but it's also the other side of that are Christians who, as I've been told this from a quote, as a quote from another Christian, he said, I am a Christian who does counseling. I am not a Christian counselor. I'm, I'm extremely uncomfortable with that. And yet I would not refer to myself as neuthetic. I would refer to myself and our practice, our passion is the gospel. And I seek to be gospel-centered in what I do and what I practice. And I even tell people, you know, if they're coming in, say for marriage, Mm -hmm. you know, I will say pretty much in the beginning sessions, okay, you need to know that while we're going to use your marriage because it exposes things, the core issue that we're going to be going after is the growth of your faith which will hugely impact your marriage. But if we merely go to impact your marriage, we will never get back to the growth of your faith. And that's, that's not the way that I work. So again, that's full disclosure. Mm. Um, if you want to work with me, 
this will be the way that I will tend to do it. So I'm not heavy on, in marriage counseling, heavy on uh, teaching communication skills, etc. Those things have their merit. They really, really do. But primarily, we have generally in marriage what I call two ticks with no dog. We have two people looking for someone <laughs> to live off of. And as long as we have that going on, two empty people looking to become whole through their marriage, we're not going to go anywhere. So we take it again from a different approach where each spouse ex examines in their own hearts what were they looking for in marriage, what were they let down by in their marriage, and who whose responsibility really is that? What weight have they put on their marriage that they were created for? That intimacy, that unconditional love, yes, but the weight to go on to the marriage rather than God through the marriage at points, yes, but fundamentally that weight has to go on to the Father. So that, I guess that's what I would say is the, the difference of, to me, there's Christian counseling, there's biblical counseling what i would refer to what we do is is gospel counseling but they're all kind of funny words yeah yeah it must be exhausting is it doing that for people full time is it do you do it full time it's a lot like being maybe a er doctor or a, an er nurse um i do it i, I have fairly long days mm. but when you're on you're on yep and then I am able to leave the office. Mm. I think that's a gift. I really do. Mm. And no, I don't find it exhausting because I think it's anything that you really deeply love energizes you. Mm. I feel that I am in the zone, if you will. Mm. I also feel like I'm on the front lines, mm. which is at points a messy place to be, mm. but it's also an incredible place to be because I get to see redemption and restoration all the time and I get to speak truth coming out of my mouth which forces me to live it in a way that I don't think I would be if I wasn't saying it like there's a matter of integrity there yeah that I can't be talking to somebody about loving their husband and then go home and treat mine poorly uh, even though I have to admit, I don't have any problem doing that when I hear a sermon. <laughs> um, it's, it, is a, it is the way that God keeps me, if you will, on a short leash. Mm. Yeah, because you must sort of be convicting yourself as you speak. So, yeah. and, that, and when you need to leave um, ministry, period, mm. is when you are not having that type of struggle of hearing your own words and not being deeply impacted in your heart if there's an incongruence. Mm. If I can do that and not a live a life challenged by those words, mm. I need to be out of the ministry right away. That That is very, very frightening to me. Mm. I, real, I think a healthy fear of mm. that. Mm. Can I ask you a question then for a practical example from your own life? Is there a, a situation where you've found you've had to unhitch yourself from the crazy train and get your priorities? realigned mm -hmm. yeah unhitching from the crazy train largely came from 
the story of my stay, my myself staying sane when my what was he at that point? He was um, when my 24-year-old son was diagnosed with Burkitt's lymphoma. I am what would you call a very passionate woman. <laughs> I eat, I go up and down a lot. I'm very very let's say sensitive to circumstances. <laughs> um, so you've got all the nice phrases for all these things. Oh as my, well. exactly. <laughs> yes, and so. You know, when that happened to our family, I thought, God, what are you doing? Um, you know I'm not up to this. I'm not the kind of woman that's going to make you look good on this and, and, and write blogs and about, you know, God's enough and, you know, if all of this brings one person to Jesus, yada, yada. No, that is not what I was feeling. That's not what I was feeling at all. I think that at any point, we always need to learn to watch our thoughts and learn how to stay sane and unhitch from crazy trains. However, when you deep, 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 deep crisis, it's really a matter of life and death. If I didn't learn to grab hold of my head in the way that I was thinking and really challenge my words of theology to the way that I was living, I was not going to be able to survive the intensity of the treatment and the question of the prognosis. So I had to learn to do it. Mm. And I, honest to goodness, will say, if this woman can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> um, it did change my life completely. I learned not to be driven by circumstances and by people. I learned a stability that could make me feel intensely. I still feel as intensely as I ever did. It doesn't inoculate me from pain. But I'm not frightened anymore that something bad's going to happen and then I'm going to go right over the edge. I'm not frightened anymore mm -hmm. because I have found what to hold to. I can't hold to my picture of my son being healthy and my family being happy and us moving on. That is a beautiful, beautiful picture. And I will always have it in my mind. But that is not where my rest comes from. I've seen him care for us when we were so far out of the picture, we couldn't see straight. And, um, and it brought me to rest. And actually, that, it was out of that that Crazy Train was written. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Appreciate it. How is your son now? Oh, he just, he's, now it's been, uh, we're four years out. Okay. He's married. And two months ago, um, his wife gave birth to our first grandchild. That's very exciting. So, yes, yes, yes. It's, it's a, um, it's beautiful, but I think I hold it more lightly than I would have mm. five years ago. Mm. So tell me, Julie, what keeps you going as a Christian over the years, what, is, what have been some things that are helpful or what, what, is, what is helpful for you right now? Definitely, unquestionably, I've been blessed to have uh, be under excellent teaching and have a tremendous amount of the word stored in me. Um, but the, so the, the disciplines 
of worship, the disciplines of being in the word, the discipline of prayer. These are things that are not optional, absolutely not optional at all. But more now, I'd say in the last several years, I've learned um, more to commune with the Father in my quiet time, to hear him, um, not only to hear about him, but to hear him. And I literally live off the sense that he is with me at all times, that I don't ever have to pray. You know how silly it is that we pray, Lord be with us. Like, where do we think he is? He is with me all the time. He is within me. And so seeking to make a practice more and more in my daily life to acknowledge the presence of God in all things and to be aware of the movement and direction of God wherever I am. Um, I always have my own agenda as to the way that it's supposed to be, but to be aware, when, you know, when I'm in the counseling room and he's saying something and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, I don't have any idea where to go on this. So he the client. He the point. client, yeah. sorry, yes. Yeah. I literally am at that point praying, Jesus, where are we headed here? Mm. And I'm, I'm seeking to see where he is moving. You know, do I have a tremendous amount of training? Yes, I have a tremendous amount of training, but you're never, you know the quote, you're never at more danger of being terribly wrong than when you're confident that you're terribly right. So life for me is a matter of constantly building intimacy with Jesus. Now, I do have just one more question. I'm trying to phrase it as I'm listening to you. I mean, talking about good, good teaching at church and your gospel-centered counseling, how do you see that whole relationship sort of working with pastoral ministry that sounds a lot like what you do, you would hope, and, and ministry that people might have with their friends? Um, oh, yes. How, how do you see all that working together, yeah. either in your context or more broadly? I have a huge, as a counselor, I have a huge respect for the desperate need for the church to be involved in the care of its people. The church needs professionals, but professionals need the church. And we have to work together respectfully. Mm -hmm. And there's been um, historically a lot of, I think, distrust. Mm -hmm. My highest passion probably of everything I do, I would have to say, is working with the church to help the church minister more effectively to their people in crisis. I see also um, much of what, what we do is, is probably like we are learning the big principles at church and in counseling you're kind of like a personal trainer for the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really what you are as a friend too, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, we often, yeah. Yes, we we know the large principles. We've been told the large principles, but if you've got a problem area, you tend to go to a personal trainer that says, "Okay, here's an exercise for this one particular place," and that personal trainer works with you. And there's a matter of accountability there, which accountability, good accountability, is that someone works with me to help me do what I most deeply want to do not someone 
kicks me around so that I do what I'm supposed to do, but I don't really want to. No. But I'll do it because I'm going to feel guilty if I don't. <laughs> right. But the truth of the gospel is yeah. that what I most deeply want, what I most deeply want in my core, this isn't necessarily what I'm living out of at all times, but because of the terms of, of the new covenant, Ezekiel 36, we have a new heart. And so we are most in the zone. Our deepest desire is to bring glory to the Father. And in the church, that is our job with one another, especially when we're stumbling, is to say, now wait, don't fall for this. This isn't what you want. This might be what you feel you want. It's also known as flesh, a surface desire. Yes, but you were made and your core desire is for obedience to the glory of God. Don't forget who you are. And that's what the church needs to be saying to one another. Don't forget who you are. I'm glad I asked the question. That was a great answer. <laughs> so do you see almost like gospel-centered counselors and pastor teachers are saying the same message, working alongside each other in different... Absolutely. Different Absolutely. spheres or different... Um, in different roles. Yeah. Yes, different roles. yes, mm. yes. Because... Um, the, I, I think that the church, again, there's an aspect to the training of one who's in, in counseling, in psychology, in understanding certain syndromes, diagnoses mm. that, that really make a huge, you know, if someone's bipolar, mm. uh, they need, that's a huge thing in their treatment. Mm. Um, and it's, it's not going to work if you are just meeting with them on a regular basis, discipling them. You've got to have a broader basis in there of understanding certain other things. Addiction would be another one. Mm. But we are working alongside of the church, never, never, never taking the job of the church because mm. the church isn't up to it because mm. that's false. Mm. It's absolutely false. Mm. Um, there are things that the church can do in terms of walking alongside of my clients that I cannot do. Mm. So uh, shepherding them, in I, I'm not called to shepherd them. Mm. I meet with them for an hour a week or every other week. That is not the body of Christ. Mm. That is a moment, but they need more. Mm. Thank you so much again. I really appreciate it and lovely to focus back on the body of Christ. Yes, yes. Uh, working alongside each other. Yes. Thank you so yes. much, Julie. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Julie's book, called Unhitching from the Crazy Train, is due to be released in March 2018. I'll let you know via the Lydia Project Facebook page when that happens. If you enjoyed listening to Julie talk about these things, you might be interested in having a listen to her podcast as well. It's hosted by Restore Ministries and called Head to Heart, Connect What You Know with How You Live. I've listened to a couple of the episodes and I highly recommend them. I think this is the bit of the podcast where I'm also meant to say, if you liked what you heard, make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes as it really helps other podcast listeners to find this podcast.